Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Sam. And I'm Caitlin. This week I am staying down south in England and I am going to tell you about a serial killer called Donald Nielsen, also known as the Black Panther. Have you heard of this one? Not to be mistaken by Dennis Nielsen, who I kept when I was doing my research and thinking of. But it's Donald. I had a person. Yeah. I honestly thought you were going to say. Obviously, I ignored the downside bit, but I thought you were going to say Dennis Nielsen. I was going to have to be like, we've done this episode quite a while ago, <laughs> and I'm here to refresh. <laughs> no. Yeah, we're doing that again. Um, no, I haven't actually. Um, funny that we decided to do a crime podcast, thinking we knew so much. He jokes on us and everyone else because we don't. <laughs> um, but no, no, I'll begin. It's an interesting one as well. Um, it's probably shorter than a few that we've recently done, but he is a serial killer and, you know, it is crazy how we haven't heard of it. Now, um, some are short, sorry to butt in, some are short, but it's like the stories still need to be told, I feel. Like it's still yeah. like very good. I think there's some short ones you can do that aren't worth telling. But actually, there's been some that, like, they're really short, but actually it's really important what you're saying. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, And so I will begin by saying Donald Nielsen, he was born on the 1st of August in 1936. Um, He was actually born Donald Nappy. That was his surname. Now, at the age of 19, Donald married 20-year-old Irene Tate in April 1955, and they ended up going on and having a daughter called Catherine in 1960. Now, it was at this point he ended up changing his surname from Nappy to Nielsen because he'd been teased about it while at school and while doing national service, and he didn't want his daughter to suffer the same humiliation, which I guess you can completely understand. Kids are so cruel. And if they're going to give you a nickname, they'll come up with a belter of one. But no, so that's why he changed it. Now, Nielsen had no criminal history in his youth, but in 1965, he ended up turning to burglary and also robbery when his carpentry and building business, plus a failed attempt at a taxi firm, hit hard times. Now, he developed a technique that was to become familiar to the West Yorkshire Constabulary using a brace and bit to drill a hole in the window frame and using a screwdriver or coat hanger to open the catch. Now, for those that may be like me um, and not have a clue about tools, I do have a toolbox, I do DIY, but I make it up as I go along. Now, a brace and bit, it is a drilling tool with a crank handle and a socket to hold a bit, and a bit is one of those screw things. Now, it kind of reminds me of the mixer in Matilda, you know, when she makes the pancakes. So that kind of gives you some imagery if you needed any. Is now, that not a very common mixer? The Matilda one or Dennis's one? Matilda one. <laughs> yeah, Matilda's one. That's a very common appliance, Samantha. See, with the handle, I don't think it is. Maybe back in the day. But Matilda I, was also filmed in the 90s. That is basically, uh, what's it called? Mixer in the 90s before it was all electric. Yeah, but I just use, I use a whisk, like a handheld whisk without the plugging in. I do that nowadays too. Well, that's not going to have as good speed. That's why you need one that turns it like a motor. I know, I know. I wish I had one. 
But right. sometimes I even use a fork because I'm a heathen. Don't know that. Yeah, I know. Anyways, we've gone off topic. But because of what he used, uh, they, the police, they called him the brace and bit robber. Now, although he became extremely skilled at getting in and out of the houses, he never managed to hit the jackpot. And the proceeds from this activity, they remained like really small. He got nothing out of it. Now, while combining dishonesty and also running his business, Nielsen became obsessed with the discipline and routine of army life. Now, he had relished his statutory national service when he was a teenager, and though he was persuaded by his wife not to join the services permanently, he did continue his passion for the military by forcing his wife and daughter to take part in games of soldiers. So he loved the regimented lifestyle, shall we say. Now, in 1967, he branched out into robbing sub-post offices. Now, the logic of of this was that these smaller post offices were usually only lightly defended and therefore easier to rob. And with over 23,000 in the UK at that time, there was almost an infinite choice of targets. But of course, by the same logic, they would not have as much cash on the premises as like a main post office building would either. Now a sub post office is like the small ones either running shops in the local area or just small post office shops again most likely in and around local areas. Now for a bit of context there are now only 11,635 sub post offices and that was taken in March 2022. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because I received a letter from the House of Commons yesterday about my local post post office getting shut down this week. So, you know, that's... I know. So that's... I'm okay. I think I've used it maybe twice. But it is very... People use them and there's uproar about it. Hence why I've got that letter. And to just say, like, that's over half has been cut like they've all been shut down since what 1967 and there's more to be closed so I'm just saying save your local post offices some people need them anyway he first raided a sub post office in Nottingham and eventually 18 others in Lancashire and Yorkshire between 1967 and 1974 on the 16th of February 1972, Nielsen broke into a sub-post office in Haywood, Lancashire. Now, the owner, Leslie Richardson, he had woken up and wandered out of his bedroom when suddenly confronted by a hooded man. A struggle ensued and the man spoke to him with a West Indian accent. Now, during the struggle, the shotgun Nielsen was carrying went off, making a hole in the ceiling. Leslie Richardson managed to remove the hood and get a good look at Nielsen and Nielsen managed to escape out the rear of the building. Now Leslie did help the police put together a photo fit picture of the intruder which was to become the first one of six but none of which managed to resemble any of the other photo fits that were taken or resemble Nielsen himself. So they weren't that helpful. Now, in so 19- if it's a hard one, Zoe, oh sorry, I was going to say there's some that you see that you're like, oh my god, that is that person, and then there's other ones that you're like, uh-huh. who is that? Is that I a close my eyes. <laughs> Yeah, that looks like a generic person on the street. Um, yeah, they are very hard to to 
distinguish is that the right word to use like I would say especially ones that we've maybe posted on Instagram maybe in the early I think it's back yeah back in the times it was really difficult to kind of describe it especially when like you know look at the um was it not Peter Tobin was it Bible John Joy there's confusion they're the same person because they look it's very much like a man with short hair yeah and you're like okay drawn out a pen and pencil and you're like this could be anyone that's why a lot of cases you hear about it they like put the ether out and they had like hundreds of calls being like I know someone with short hair (laughs) it's like good for you he's not a murderer (laughs) but yeah no no I completely get you um and in 1974 Nielsen targeted a sub post office in Harrogate in North Yorkshire now after tying up the sub postmaster's 18 year old son he confronted the sub postmaster himself and he was called Donald Skepper now he was lying in bed with his wife at the time. Now, Donald Skipper attempted to apprehend Nielsen, who shot him as he leapt towards him. Nielsen then fled, empty-handed, because he's not that great at robbing, and Skipper died of his wounds. Police cautiously made a connection between this robbery and a previous one two years earlier in Haywood, although photo fits from the two robberies did not bear great resemblance, like I said earlier. Now, by the following September, more than 30,000 people had been interviewed in the search for a man whom the media had labelled the Black Panther, which I'm guessing because he was in a hooded, he wore black and he couldn't be seen and he went at night. I just think of the Pink Panther because did he not try to steal like a diamond or something? Um, Yeah, I was thinking I generally thought Panther because he moves quick. (laughs) (laughs) That could work. Yeah, like he's in and out of his crime scenes like, oh, like a panther. Like a puma. Um, yes, like a panther. Now, <laughs> now, Nielsen lay low for six months before breaking into the sub-post office in the higher Baxendale locale of Accrington in Lancashire. Now, the owner, Derek Aston, woke to find an intruder in the bedroom and he began a fight with him, waking his wife. As the light um, got turned on, the shotgun went off. Now, Derek Aston died in hospital of his wounds while Nielsen fell down the stairs, but then he managed to recover and flee, leaving his wife. Oh, wow. He was untouched, but he ran out again, killed a man again. And ran nothing. like a panther. Exactly. Now, police quickly established that this was the same person as the killing in Harrogate due to identical methods of entry clothes and bullets so they know they're on to this one person they just do not know who it is now another two months passed before Nielsen struck again this time he chose a different and more cunning method of entry after his previous ones with the sub postmasters that clearly it just wasn't working for him now Sydney Grayland the owner of a sub post office in Langley West Midlands went to answer a knock at the back door now Nielsen was waiting hooded and carrying a torch with a bottle of ammonia attached but he only succeeded in squirting himself with the ammonia forcing him to rip off his mask and reveal his face just as Sydney Grayland's wife entered the scene now this prompted Nielsen to attack her fracturing her skull while also shooting her husband now this time, Nielsen left with £800 in postal orders from the safe with Sydney Grayland. He died with a shot 
with his shotgun, sorry, and his wife was critically injured. Now, she did survive and was able to give another description, but again, not showing huge similarities to previous photo fits. Now, you can completely understand why none of these are matching up because everyone's gone through a trauma, they've been attacked, their husbands are being killed, etc, etc. You know, these aren't just, oh, I saw them walking down the street. Now, identical bullets to the previous two killings were recovered by the police and they knew they were seeking one man in connection with the crimes. But the photo fits, they were actually very, they contrasted one another and they couldn't narrow it down at all. So let's go back a couple of years to 1972. Now, by 1972, Nielsen had decided he needed to step up his criminal activity if he was to gain the big payout that he wanted. And he, let's be honest, he wanted to receive the publicity that he craved. Like a lot of, you know, criminals, serial killers, we've spoken about it before, they crave the attention and that's what they all do it for. So he read... We mentioned that, oh sorry, I was going to say, we mentioned that in the Ollie Stevens case. When they were pretending they'd done more than they had because they wanted people to think that when they said like all the, um, what was it they called them? The, fe- wasn't the feds. Was it, was it the feds? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Or like chasing them around and it's like, no, they weren't. Yeah, no, they didn't do this at all. You're making up, you weren't even in the country. Like, yeah, stuff like that. Um, so he read an article in the Daily Express about a Leslie Whittle and she was a teenage schoolgirl who had just been left £82,500 by her deceased father George in his will. Now George managed to get all this money in his life because he ran a successful coach company. So Nielsen continued with his sub-post office raids while also concocting a way to kidnap Leslie and extract a large ransom from her family. So this, this is why I always think if I came into a huge sum of money or won the lottery or something, I wouldn't tell anyone. Genuinely, no, wouldn't tell anyone. Would try and carry on as normal. I'd maybe get you a present, Thank but you. I would carry on as like total normal. Like, wouldn't tell anybody because that happens often. Like, you yeah, know, that is like a thing of people like know you're in money and stuff. So, nope, don't do it. Yeah, I'm kind of with you at the same time. But yeah, no, I've also got this plan of when I do win, I'm going to like give this to someone, this to that, this to the next thing. But again, if the news comes, you're going to give me something. Maybe you'll you'll just have to wait for when I win. Um, But I also, you know how you get the chance. Oh, do you want to be on the news and and pop the champagne, etc.? I'd probably be like, "Mm, no, no, I think I would be one of those that asks for like anonymity. Yeah, but I'd tell my friends and family because I'd gift them stuff. Or not, if I didn't like you, sorry. Maybe I won't like you, Caitlin. Anyway, this thought came to him in 1972, and he carried on with his burglaries whilst killing Donald Skepper, Derek Aston, and Sidney Greyland, whilst also injuring Sidney's wife. By the beginning of 1975, though, Nielsen was ready to carry out his plan. So on the 14th of January, he drove to the Whittle home in Highley, Shropshire, and silently broke into the 70-year-old's bedroom. There was neither struggle or noise, and he allowed Leslie to put on a dressing gown and slippers before quietly taking her with him at gunpoint. On the lounge table, Nielsen left a ransom demand on a box of chocolates, which he'd punched out of on a roll of Dymo tape. Now, Dymo tape is the roll of tape that goes into a label maker, So this is what the note was written on, if that helps you get a visual. 
Now, the ransom note read, No police, £50,000 ransom to be ready to deliver. Wait for telephone call at Swan Shopping Centre, telephone box, 6pm to 1pm. If no call, return following evening when you answer. Give name only and listen, you must follow instructions without argument. From time you answer, you are on a time limit. If police or tricks, death. Now, obviously, there was no punctuation in this. Swan Shopping Centre, Kidderminster, deliver £50,000 in a white van. £50,000 in all old notes, £25,000 in £1 notes and £25,000 in £5. There will be no exchange only after £50,000 has been cleared will victim be released. So when Leslie failed to come downstairs for breakfast the next morning, her mother went to her room and saw the empty bed. So she went into the lounge and found the note and immediately raised the alarm. Leslie's brother Ronald Whittle cautiously brought in the police, bearing in mind the threat on the ransom demand, and it was agreed that he should take the ransom as directed. So exactly what um, Donald was wanting. Now, meanwhile, Nielsen had taken Leslie to a disused drainage shaft in the town of Kidsgrove in Staffordshire. There he left her with a rope around her neck, basic food requirements and some bedding. However, during the next few hours, a freelance reporter had heard that a kidnap incident was underway and gave the story to a radio station, which, with some disregard for Leslie's safety, broadcast it. The police duly withdrew Ronald Whittle from the ransom scene to avoid panicking the kidnapper into believing it was a honey trap. Now, the phone in the phone box rang at just before midnight, but there was no one there to answer it. The next night, a hoax call sent Ronald Whittle on a wild goose chase to a false rendezvous. Now, people that get do hoax calls and even to like emergency services, etc. Like, what are you doing? I just don't understand it. Like, I get we used to, you know, prank call back in the day on the landline, but that was to someone. But never the emergency services. No, it was like. No, it's just not for me. Now, the same night, an angry Nielsen shot security guard Gerald Smith while attempting to raid, raid a security depot. In the hurry to escape the scene, Nielsen actually left his stolen green Morris 1300, which is a car, just a few hundred yards from Gerald Smith's body. Now, the police actually failed to notice the car for eight days, but when it was finally discovered and searched, a number of relevant items were discovered in the boot, including a sleeping bag, a tape recording of Leslie's voice, torches, a gun and ammunition, and some dymo tape. Now, meanwhile, on the third night of the kidnap, Ronald Whittle waited at home for the phone to ring, when it did, a recording of Leslie's voice told him to go and wait by a phone box in Kids Grove. Now, Ronald drove to Bridge North Police Station, where he was briefed by Detective Chief Superintendent Lovejoy of Scotland Yard. Now, at this point, police had not realised the connection between, you know, the wanted Black Panther, who did all the post office murders, and this kidnapper. So Scotland Yard were in charge of the kidnap investigation, but they didn't exchange information with each other or, you know, exchange notes or see if there was anything that was even familiar or if they connected because they didn't put two and two together. But why would they at this point? Now, Ronald then drove to Kidsgrove 
followed by several unmarked police cars. He got lost twice and it was nearly 3am when he finally got to the location and then another 30 minutes to locate a hidden message. Now, this message instructed him to go to Bathpool Park and wait for a flashlight signal, which he did. He waited, but no signal came. Now, the problem was that Nielsen had driven the route himself and worked out that Ronald should arrive at Bathpool Park at 2.30 a.m. Now, a couple in a car had already arrived and they were like so confused by the flashing light that they saw. Um, and then later on during interviews and things, you know, when they ask, oh, did anybody see anything and things, the couple that came forward and said, oh, look, we saw these flashing lights. They also said that they saw a police car in the park, the car park, but the police deny that too. So we're not too sure if there was a police car there watching the scene or if there wasn't, it got denied. Now, Nielsen watched it all happen and convinced that Ronald was cooperating in a police trap, he went into a rage. It suggests that he went back to the drainage shaft to where Leslie Whittle was held and pushed her off the ledge, strangling her to death. However, a conflicting report was more saying that she could have possibly died from shock and terror. So you don't know what was the real cause there. Now, by this point, the police had matched the findings in the abandoned car to the sub-post office murders, and they realised that Leslie had been kidnapped by the Black Panther. So until this point, they'd not been convinced that the abductor was actually dangerous enough to carry out his threat of killing his hostage. But clearly, because it's the Black Panther who's murdered four people already, he's capable of murder. Now, previously, senior crime officers from Scotland Yard had dis- discounted a full search of Bathpool Park, claiming there would be nothing to find. However, on the discovery of the Morris, the car, a search was immediately ordered and the shaft was found where Leslie's naked body was discovered hanging from a wire cable. Now, her feet were only a few inches from the ground. Almost two months had passed since the day she was abducted, though the postmortem suggested that she'd actually been killed within 48 hours of her capture. Now, had the police conducted a search when Nielsen issued his first demand, Leslie might well have been found alive. However, as we've said on numerous occasions, hindsight is a wonderful thing, you know. Now, as a result, There were recriminations within the two police forces investigating the kidnapping of Leslie. Now, not least, a few were demoted from detectives back to uniformed uh, polices, police officers, sorry. Now, certainly Ronald Whittle as well, in an interview he gave outside the police station after being informed that Leslie's body had been found, he laid the blame for his sister's death squarely on the considerable publicity of the kidnap so you know that radio station newspapers etc so he blamed that on his sister's death now nielsen remained at large for much of 1975 and he returned to post office robberies though he did commit no more killings so he just was there for the money and anything else he could find He was finally arrested at the end of the year with the investigation nowhere near knowing who or where the Black Panther was. 
Now, on the 11th of December, though, however, two uniformed police officers were patrolling the streets of Mansfield in Nottinghamshire when they spotted a man in black outside a post office carrying a whole doll and moving suspiciously. They called him over to their car and asked him what he was doing. Now, keeping calm and friendly, Nielsen said he was on his way home from work and he just gave a false name. One of the policemen asked Nielsen to write his name down. Now, at this point, Nielsen produced a sawn-off shotgun and he forced one officer into the back seat and then got into the front passenger seat. He pointed the shotgun at the policeman driving and told him to drive to Bidworth, about six miles away. At one point, the rear-seated officer spotted that the gun was pointing away from the driver and he lunged forward at the gun, pulling the muzzle up. At the same time, the driver slammed on the brakes and the gun went off into the roof of the car. The car stopped outside a chip shop in Rainworth and as the two policemen fought with Nielsen, two of the chippy customers in the shop joined in. Now, the four men struggled with Nielsen, who fought like an absolute caged animal, but he eventually was subdued and handcuffed to a handrail outside. Now, at the police station, Nielsen gave a false name again and he deliberated at some length before answering any questions put forward to him. Eventually, though, he gave his real name and his address. It was only when Nielsen's home in Bradford in West Yorkshire was searched that police realised that the man who had violently struggled against them was, in fact, the Black Panther responsible for the murder of Leslie and the sub-postmasters. All his army accessories were discovered, along with a range of knives, guns and ammunition, some wire which matched that used to strangle Leslie, and even a model of a Black Panther. Now, under questioning, Nielsen admitted after 12 hours to kidnapping Leslie, but said her death was an accident. So that goes back to, you know, what I said earlier, there's no proof of, did he push her off the ledge? Was it shock? Was it this? What happened? He said it was an accident, apparently. Now, he also claimed that he never intended to kill any of the postmasters. He was charged, though, with four counts of murder, as well as numerous related offences. Now, I've said all this, he's obviously been charged for Leslie and the postmasters, but flashback to Gerald Smith, the security guard. So in March 1976, the security guard who Nelson shot during the hunt for Leslie, he died as a result of his injuries and the after effects of the incident. However, Nielsen could not be charged with his murder under UK law at the time, which declared that a murder charge could not be brought in respect of a victim who dies more than a year and a day after the incident, which brings about their death. The law has since been changed, and this must have been how I knew this in my last episode, or your last episode. Yeah, yeah. I don't, that, I don't think that episode's been published yet. No, but this will be published after that one. So this comment will make sense, right. maybe. Or maybe it won't. Right. We don't know when it'll be published. But stay tuned. If this part doesn't make yeah. sense, it will. It will one day. Yeah, uh-huh. that, Yeah, because you said that to me the other day. And I was like, when we were recording, I was like, okay, that's a random fact. That makes so much more sense. That's yeah. so weird. Yeah, that episode hasn't been published. Oh, well, stay tuned. You'll hear about <laughs> skip about ten seconds because we ramble on and talk nonsense. But that's where it came from. This line right here. <laughs> but anyway, moving on. Now, 
Nielsen's trial at Oxford Crown Court started on the 14th of June 1976. It was a massive public event. Queues stretched out onto the street because people wanted to catch a glimpse of him. So this is a big thing, you know, the media's all over it. Now, on the 1st of July, Nielsen was unanimously convicted. He was given a life sentence for each murder committed, four in total, plus another life term for causing grievous bodily harm to Mrs Grayland, the wife of Sydney, which was one of the sub-postmasters killed. He was also convicted of kidnapping, blackmail, making threats to kill, burglary and possessing firearms with intent to endanger life. Because also remember this is before, was it 1996 or something after obviously Dunblane when the gun laws severely got changed in in the UK. Now the shooting of the security guard as well although he couldn't have been charged for it it was ordered to lie on his file. Now the trial judge told him that in this case life must mean life only great age or infirmity should be used as reason to release him. The judge also sympathised with the jury over the amount of evidence they were for forced to hear and they were forced to you know go through it all before reaching the verdict and he later recommended to the home office that each of the jurors should be declared exempt from further jury service for the next 10 years which I think is a is a a thing still because when my mum did jury it was like a horrific murder case it was when we were younger but she was given 10 years off however 10 years later she was on another case which was murder I don't know if they were linked. I think there was a possibility that they were. So now she's got another 10 years off. So I think that's still a thing. But I could be completely wrong. Now, immediately after the trial, police released two photographs of Nielsen. One taken during his spell on remand, complete with blank expression. You know, he just did not care. And one more infamous photograph taken immediately after his arrest, which he had bruises and cuts all over him for everyone to see because that was you know the consequence of him trying to struggle and still become a free man now this photograph with the bruises and the cuts that appeared on the front of every national newspaper the morning after his conviction now donald nielsen became one of britain's most notorious and infamous criminals and he remained incarcerated in a high security prison until he died on the 18th of december 2011 at the age of 75. he only ever appealed against one conviction and that was the murder of leslie which he was rejected in 1977 and he never tried again and he never tried to gain his freedom he was assessed by medical experts and he had above average intelligence and he was highly obsessional. Now, the Lord Chief Justice set a 30 year minimum term for Nielsen soon after his conviction, but successive Home Secretaries then imposed a whole life tariff. Now, the Home Secretary was later stripped of this powers to set minimum terms, which I think we've possibly mentioned before. This was stripped in November 2002 after a law lord's ruling relating to a case taken to the European Court of Human Rights, and therefore the original 30 year tariff was restored. So he was no longer a whole life tariff. Now, had Nielsen decided to end his criminal activity after Leslie's death, it is possible he would never have actually been caught. Um, But that's the story of Donald Nielsen, Caitlin. Mentally, that like, well, his crimes are mental, but the fact we haven't heard of it is also mental. But I think we've spoke about that before, that it's like, if like back in the 70s and 80s, obviously this was a huge crime. 
and then something worse came along and something worse came along or better came along whatever you kind of way you look at it that this becomes like old news so like there's a lot of serial killers back then that you just don't really know that much about it's like 50 odd years ago so you don't know that much about them because something bigger and worse happened and took over almost yeah no I agree with you um and obviously all these crimes are horrific and it's mental what he did and it's good yeah this one he did get caught again though could he have got caught sooner we'll never know 